This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thanks for joining us on this journey to go rogue. And in the late 90s, the church was just beginning to come to grips with the porn epidemic that was within its walls, meaning the amount of men who were struggling with that problem, that issue. I remember in the 90s, that's when Promise Keepers was beginning to hit their stride. And in those large stadium events where they'd have 50,000 plus men, they started asking them the question, when is the last time you viewed pornography? And the big shocker was that at the time, 50% or on half were saying they have viewed porn within the past two months. So this was when the church just was beginning to get a feel for how huge the porn epidemic was within in the 90s. And you could almost say that was the good old days because now today those numbers are approaching 70% of Christian men viewing porn along with all the other issues like adultery and sexting and going to stripper bars and prostitution. And so in the 90s, there was almost, there was little to nothing um, available on the Christian side for people who were struggling with porn and even less so for wives. And so when you have a guy, and usually what mostly happens is the men wait till they're married before they decide to get help. So for every guy who's in bondage to that stuff, it has a traumatic and profound effect on the wife. And they often get left out of the equation. So in the late 90s, there was little to nothing available for the wives until one woman wrote a book, Living With Your Husband's Secret Words. This was Marsha Means who published this in 1999. She's a licensed counselor. And then uh, I talked with Marcia actually last week, and she told me back in those early days it wouldn't be uncommon for her to get a 1,000 inquiries a month for women looking for help. I got to meet Marcia in 2006 in the original version of our radio show, and we interviewed her on the show. And, and then I met her again at a ministry event with several other ministry leaders in this area, and she's a fantastic woman. She has a compassion, and she has a heart for People who are broken and hurting, and so you get a real treat today, my listening audience, and that she's joining us, calling us, calling in from Mexico. So, Marsha, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Um, let me just correct one little detail that's really important in the therapeutic community. Because I do live outside the country, I cannot be allowed counselor. I am trained as a marriage and family therapy, but when I first moved to Mexico, 
uh, I encountered that problem. So I took some coaching training and though I know everything I learned in my, my master's in marriage and family therapy, I technically work as a coach, but yes, and I am in Mexico and it's, I've been in this arena for a very long time. Um, and if your listeners would like to hear my story and how not only have I been in the arena trying to help others, but when I entered this arena, it was very personally in 1990. Is it okay if I start telling that story, Mike? Oh, sure. Please do. Okay. Well, in, in 1990, um, I had been married before, had my children were grown, and I was divorced, and I heard that this wonderful boy, now a man, that I had originally bonded deeply with at the age of nine. He was 11. His father was a farmer in rural eastern Washington, and my father was his family's minister. My dad was pastoring a little country Baptist church. And as soon as we moved to that area and I met him in Sunday school, something clicked between us. And we were kids. We were very young kids. But I knew even then that, that I loved him. And I, he was always my soulmate. In all the years uh, beyond that, uh, we, we played together, spent a lot of Sunday afternoons after church together. We swam in a, a pond that a farmer let us let kids use. We climbed haystacks. We sledded down the hill behind his farm in the winter. And uh, then at the age of 12, he was now 14 and had started riding the bus into the, the city, the town, about 20 miles away. My father reached, uh, resigned from that particular church and moved us about 150 miles west in Washington State. And back, way back then, there, of course, was no internet and long-distance phone calls were still expensive. And as kids, we wrote a few letters, but of course, in our teens and as life marched on, we both went our separate ways. But in 1990, a family member told me that he had been divorced. Uh, he did grow up to be a wonderful man, just like he was a wonderful boy. Uh, ministry his whole adult life. Um, we reconnected and uh, I don't remember. It may have been a year. It wasn't a long time later. We ended up getting married. And I got to tell you, uh, I felt like Cinderella. He, he is, to this day, a, a wonderful human being. Um, I, I He was my soulmate, and I thought, of course, like most, I was still a girl at heart, like most girls I thought, we're going to be happy for the rest of our lives. And what followed were several wonderful years. He, he, he was, and I'm sure is, in his now third marriage, a very romantic man. Um, he, was, he was romantic. I got bouquets. I, have, I got dozens of cards. Just a precious, 
man, but even wonderful men and even wonderful Christian men are still flawed human beings, and we all have our wounds, usually from childhood, that if our parents, and very few parents back then, were astute enough to help us process or to help us go to a therapist and process those wounds often create flawed human beings and way too often sex addicts. And it didn't take very long for me to recognize my husband was greatly attracted to young, beautiful women. And uh, for the women who are listening, you know how that stings, right? And it's like it, it, it stings to your nervous cord, your, your, all your nerve endings and every part of your being feels that pain. Um, so I, I did what I, I didn't know what else to do. I, I wasn't a therapist then. I didn't know anything about what do I do now. And uh, in the Christian world, I searched and searched, couldn't find anything. And then a few years into our marriage, there was an event on vacation that really shattered me. And I flew home, and we had a lot of recovery books in our office library because Pat was the editor of a recovery magazine at a, a Christian recovery organization he had helped found in 1990. So I scoured the office. The, the publishers always sent him advanced copies of all the books. So we had hundreds and hundreds of recovery books, even way back in the mid-90s. I scoured the shelves, and the only thing I could find uh, was Steve Arterburn had written, I think it was, uh, it was either Don't Call It Love or another similar one, but it, it was, it touched on sex addiction. I went to the public library. The internet wasn't, you couldn't really go on Google and search. I called people. I found uh, one book for women written by a, psych- a psychiatrist at the library, but it wasn't really about this, and it wasn't for Christians. So I I just did what most of us do in the beginning when we don't see any signposts. I stumbled, and after a few years, God brought a younger couple into our lives, and when he introduced himself, even at church, he would say, Hi, my name is, and I'm a recovering sex addict. And I was so grateful because they were way ahead of us, and he helped me confront Pat and got Pat into sex addiction recovery. And he had always been a leader. He had always been in ministry. And in 2000, well, 1999, uh, late 99, by then I had I had gone and gotten my master's. We had both. He had written a book, and I had written Living With Your Husband's Secret Wars. We were doing radio, Christian radio in Seattle. We were beginning to get a lot of calls, and they were never from addicts. They were always from hurting wives. Mm. So I would have to take the phone, and that's what prompted me to get my Master's in Marriage and Family Therapy. And when when Pat founded this, still recovered, this, this organization is still going, 
but it was it may have been the first or one of the very very first in 1999 in the Seattle area to help Christians and churches and anyone deal with this issue. He and his board asked if I would come into the organization and, and be the, the only therapist. And that's where, after not very many months, we were getting about a thousand emails and phone calls requesting help. And because I was the only one trained, they all came to me. So you can imagine that there was a lot of stress for both of us. And uh, didn't take long. By about 2001, I, I could feel the shift, and I, I was beginning to have health issues. Uh, for, for those listening, this is such an important point I've learned over the years in my own life as well as the lives of my clients. Trauma is stored in the human body. It, it gets stored in the tissues, and if we don't get help and don't work through it, and sometimes it can be hard for complex PTSD, but there are tons of new body-based things, that modalities that can be used. So if you're listening and you're struggling, and whether it's emotionally and or physically or both, please don't delay. If, if you need help knowing where to look, email us. And we'll we'll try to guide you. But I began to have health issues. He began to not always be where I thought he was going to be. Everything shifted at home. Um, I, I knew something was wrong. But it took three years before our board of directors required Pat to get a polygraph test. And once he heard that that was coming, he confessed and. Um, he was gone from the ministry. It wasn't long until I was gone from the ministry. Uh, we tried to, to heal it, and we were, we, were, we were doing, we were making progress for a few months, but suddenly our, both of our incomes were gone. Marcia, uh, let, me, let me ask you. Yeah. You said that Pat confessed to, to what, porn addiction or... It, yes, just porn addiction, and I say just because I hear such horrible stories that are even worse, but I know, ladies, that that can slice and dice our souls because it did mine. But yes, porn addiction, and he had had an emotional affair at that time. Um, but we both lost our jobs. We lost almost all of our colleagues in the recovery world, mm-hmm. and by then we had begun, there was a momentum had begun by 2004, and a lot of the names you hear now were already entering or in the arena of sex addiction recovery, helping people heal. There's a whole new generation out there now, but us old-timers, there were several of us. We lost nearly all of those people. We lost our friends because all of our friends were in our ministry. I lost my ministry team, um, my health. And it, within several months, I lost my husband. We, we just couldn't make it work. He was going one direction, and I, there was just no room for me where he was headed. 
And so I think it was November 4th, in the wee hours of the morning in 2004, the home was sold. I had slept on the floor the night of the 3rd. I lugged my suitcase downstairs, and my son-in-law picked me up something like 4 a.m., drove me to the Seattle airport, and I flew to Brazil, where my son lives. He had married a Brazilian, and it was warm down there that time of year, headed into the Christmas season, and I needed warmth. I had so much inflammation and swelling in my body, so I went south. But I remember sitting on the edge of of my bed in their home on Christmas Eve at midnight on 2004, and crying out to God, sitting there in the dark and feeling completely lost and completely alone. I missed Pat. He loves Christmas, so Christmas at our house was beautiful and filled with carols and events, and all of that was missing. Um, and, And there was no Christ in Christmas where I was. So I was really missing that, and I was really needing the Jesus of of Christmas, that the Jesus of the resurrection. So I was sitting there talking to him and crying and pleading for help. And I, I, I'm I'm not a charismatic. I I don't have visions. Um, this isn't my norm. It was my one and only moment in that in that quiet, lonely space where I was really hurting, it was as if, I didn't hear any voices, but in my heart it was as if I was the woman with the issue of blood crushed in the crowd that was following Jesus in the the Bible story we learn in Sunday school. And I was desperate. In my mind's eye, it was just like the pictures we've seen when we're children. And I reached out, and like the woman in the Bible, I just felt myself emotionally and spiritually fall forward and grab onto the heel of his hem of his garments and um, something shifted. Um, I knew that that like an Old Testament verse says he is the husband of the husbandless and that he wasn't going to promise me it would be easy, but I would never be alone. And it took me several years to truly come to to have faith, to believe that every time there was a calamity in my life, um, I may not get delivered, but and I may not get rescued, though often I do, almost always I do, mm. but never have I done it alone. I've always felt His presence. And that's made all, all the difference. Um, I stayed in in Brazil. I got an apartment of my own about the 1st of January in 2005, and it was furnished, and I I had taken my laptop, and I had had my own website built. I was just, I I had been waiting on God to tell me, what am I supposed to do? I tried to take Portuguese lessons at the local college, and, you know, I was already not a a teenager by a long shot, and uh, I was put in a class with all these foreign exchange college students from other countries, and they were sharp as cats. And I was in their way in that small class, and it just didn't work. My memory just didn't work like theirs did. So 
I, I needed to drop out. I, I hadn't been able to pick up Portuguese, and I knew it was going to be a long, slow slog. And, and there was almost no English spoken anywhere in their city there in, in southern Brazil. And uh, in my apartment, I had bought what is like a, a white kitchen table made of plastic that has the legs you can poke in the holes. And I was using that for a desk and at my laptop and trying to develop a routine and, and belief and hope in where it felt like God might be leading me. One more, every morning I would get up and do the drill, you know, just to make myself pick up and keep going. And I turned on my computer and I checked my email. And there was an email from someone who did not identify themselves. It was an address. I think it was a Hotmail address. I couldn't track down. And all it said was, thought you might be interested in this. And there was a link. Well, these days, we all know you don't click on a stray link from an unknown source. But back then, uh, 2005, I, I hadn't been taught that yet. I clicked on it, and it opened to a newspaper in Kansas. And it was a story about a Christian man, school board member uh, on the board at his Christian church, who had strangled his wife because he wanted to be with an affair partner. Mm. And God used that to, to shout loudly and clearly to me that um, I'm not, you know, you're not, you're not done. You, you, don't, you don't get off the hook just because you've lost one ministry. There are, are millions of people who still need to hear hope. And and so I began to make plans to fly back to Seattle, get an apartment, and just see if God and I could get back up and build a life and a practice. And then one morning, as I was preparing to sign a rental agreement, um, I visited my mom quickly on the other side of the state before I tied myself down in western Washington in our kitchen and we were talking and I blacked out and uh, I have a history because of, of a chronic sodium imbalance of blacking out but my family stepped in and they didn't want me to live alone and uh, my sister was a nurse at the time and I ended up spending two years in their basement and as Mike and I were talking last week we I realized that I hadn't told him, but that was where I was when we originally talked on the phone. So it was it was still years of hard work. Um, Marcia, Marcia, we yes. got about uh, two minutes left. Okay, okay. A lot has happened since then, but for the last several years, I and a new ministry team have been working uh, through a ministry I call a circle of joy, because yes, whether you're a recovering sex addict or you're a hurting partner, there can be joy in this journey. But we, we primarily minister to hurting women. I also work with couples. And I work with a lot with men who are trying to learn how to bond with their wives. So many sex addicts, even in sobriety, can't meet their wife's emotional needs because of their wounds from childhood. 
So at this point, I'm back in Mexico. Uh, God is kind of shining a light on some possible future places He wants me, but um, so far I'm just plugging forward. I've since written Your Sexually Addicted Spouse with Dr. Barb Steffens. I've written a workbook. And for those who are listening, we have several free resources, including a free, no-obligation, one-hour phone call with one of us on my team. All of us have been through this and healed. And we've all found joy, often in helping you. Well, Marcia, we're we're out of time here, but I do want to thank you for joining us, and thank you for our listeners for coming on, and we'll talk to you next time. Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.